0: I actually considered preaching with a hard hat on, but I didn't want to upstage Pastor Blaine who's my colleague and look better in the hat than he did. So I opted not to put it on. I'm just joking. Hey. I'm Ross Owens, I'm an executive pastor here at Allegheny Center Alliance Church, and it is so awesome to be here. And look, it is my privilege to welcome you to week three of our series titled CrossFit, where we are focusing on spiritual disciplines in order to grow in godliness. Now, as a reminder, the focus of our series comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, and they say this, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Repeat after me. Train yourself. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits not only in this life, but also in the life to come. See, the main idea is that while we can be spiritually disciplined and not grow in godliness, we cannot grow in godliness without being spiritually disciplined. So, if this is your first time joining us, please know that in order to help us train, we've asked Kent Chevalier, who is the chaplain for the Pittsburgh Steelers, to be our guest spiritual personal trainer. And now, until the end of this series, Kent agreed to record two to three minute spiritual workouts of the day, Monday through Friday, to encourage us to grow in our spiritual disciplines in pursuit of godliness. Now, if you haven't seen them yet, feel free to catch us on Facebook, on Instagram, and we actually uh, put up our series on YouTube. And all you have to do is type in ACAC, PGH, inside the search column on YouTube, and you can see all the videos. And for those of you looking for a job, you can also catch us on LinkedIn. Now, so far, Pastor Allen covered the spiritual disciplines of abiding in Christ and Bible intake. But this week, we're going to cover a topic that's rarely associated with spiritual disciplines. But as we dive into God's Word together, we'll see this spiritual discipline is not only needed for us to grow in godliness, but is foundational for God's work for the church, for our development as Christians, for our community, and it serves as a picture of what heaven looks like when Christ returns for his church. Therefore, I've entitled this week's teaching growing in godliness through living in beloved community. Let's bow our heads and pray. Well, Heavenly Father, as we closed out our worship service today, we individually and collectively ask that we give ourselves away. Lord, we ask that we surrender our lives to you. We cannot do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, as I attempt to give to them what you have given to me, we ask, Lord, that we surrender our thoughts, that we surrender our emotions, that we surrender this time and give our undivided attention to your word. Heavenly Father, as I prepare to uh, preach this message, I ask that you forgive me for any sin that I may have committed. And God, I pray for all those who are listening that you will open their hearts and understanding to your word, that it will be transformation into the lives of your people. So Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon us, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. In 1913, the American philosopher and theologian Josiah Royce wrote, my life means nothing, either theoretically or practically unless I am a member of community. Now besides the communities we live in, Royce understood that there is also a God ordained beloved community made up of those dedicated fully to the cause of loyalty, truth, and reality. Although Joyce although Josiah Royce coined the term beloved community, it was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who popularized the term and gave the phrase a deeper meaning. See, Dr. King spoke of the beloved community as the end goal of nonviolent boycotts. Following the announcement of the favorable U.S. Supreme Court decision desegregating the seats on Montgomery's buses, Dr. King said this, But the end is reconciliation, the end is redemption. The end is the creation of a beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. It is this type of understanding goodwill that can transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of men. Now, according to the website that's dedicated to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolence and Social Change, titled the King Center, the core value of the quest for Dr. King's beloved community is agape love. See, the Bible speaks of three, time, three kinds of love. The first is eros, which is sort of an aesthetic or romantic love. Next is philia, which is affection between two friends or brotherly love, and that's where we get the term Philadelphia from. But agape love defines God's immeasurable and love for mankind. It is this ongoing and outgoing self-sacrificing concern for lost and fallen people. See, God gives this love without condition to those who are undeserving. Agape love is active and it demonstrates love through action. So it's with this biblical understanding that underscored Dr. King's message. And then he went on to say this. He said, agape does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people. It begins by loving others for their sake and makes no distinction between friend and enemy. It is directed toward both. Agape love is seeking to preserve and create community. See, what Dr. King wrote is right out of God's playbook. See, the book of Acts teaches the commandment to make no distinction between man and for us as a body of believers to preserve and create community. Church family, it's a kingdom imperative carefully orchestrated by God. See, Acts chapter 11 defines how a small group of Jewish Christians in Judea, known as the Circumcision Party, responded to Gentiles receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. One would think that this would be wonderful wonderful news. However, according to verses 1 and 2, they became upset. See, these Christians had a Jewish background and adopted the law of Moses as their rule of life. They didn't oppose Gentiles becoming Christians, but they demanded they become clean by first becoming Jewish through circumcision, following the Jewish celebration days, and observing strict dietary laws. If you notice, they were more focused with cultural assimilation than spiritual transformation. Now, since Peter was Jewish, they did not expect Peter to preach to, baptize, and especially eat with uncircumcised Gentiles. But he did. So when Peter travels back to Jerusalem sharing this amazing, powerful, God-inspired missionary trip, they met him with rejection because he joined the Gentile Christians in community. However, during his trip, Peter had an experience with God who told him to preach the gospel, to baptize, and engage everyone who gave their life to Christ to engage them in beloved community. This is what chapter 11 says. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked at, I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up, and then it was all pulled up into heaven. So what we see here is the Jewish people at one time realized they were God's chosen people, and God told them that they were set apart for his service. So with that attitude, the Jewish people became very elite, and they looked at Gentiles as being lesser Of the faith. So God had to set the record straight. God had to let them know that anyone who gives their life to me or gives their life to Jesus Christ cannot be deemed unclean. So Acts chapter 10, 28 says this. It says, He said unto them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is. For a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me, this is Peter, and this is what Peter is telling them. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. See, God told the Jews, yes, you are set aside. But now that Jesus Christ came to earth, everyone can have access to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you and I give ourselves to Christ, God cleans us up. We can no longer be considered unclean by anyone. Therefore, when we see people who have given their life to Christ, they may not look the way we think they should look. They may not act the way that we think they should act. But God is letting us know that we do not have a right, nor responsibility, nor the insight To call anyone unclean. See, in the original text, God was letting Peter know that although you are one of mine, the Gentiles are also one of his. And God is letting Peter know that it is me, Jesus Christ, who does the work inside of people. And although they don't look like what they've been through, do know that I am working on transforming them through the transformation process. And although they don't look like you, they don't act like you, they don't come from the same person as you, do not call them uncommon. Now, after this vision ended, Peter went on to say this in in verse 11 and 12. He said, right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me, look, it was the spirit who spoke to Peter again. And he said, he told me to have no hesitation about going with them. Then six brothers also went with me and entered the man's house. See, in the original text, the words no hesitation is interpreted as without distinction. It was the same words that Dr. Martin Luther King said about beloved community. So in other words, Peter, as a Jew, was not to make any distinction. He was not to discriminate nor compare cultural backgrounds with the Gentiles. He was to live in community with them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the mission of Jesus Christ as their guide. So what was God communicating to Peter? It was this, that all people groups who trust in Jesus are declared clean by him and should be welcome into beloved community that is shaped by agape love. See, this message of beloved community was so important to establishing God's church that God spoke to Peter in a vision and via the Holy Spirit. God made sure there was no ambiguity on how believers on earth were to live. Why? Because the church is an earthly expression of heaven. And in the same way that we are to live in beloved community here on earth, we will live in beloved community in heaven. See, this is highlighted in the vision that God had given the Apostle Paul about heaven. He said this in the book of Revelations. He said, after this, I looked and there were before me a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing the white robes and were holding palm trees in their hand. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and who is the lamb. See, our worship and beloved community on earth is preparation for worship and beloved community in heaven. See, heaven will not have separate worship sections based off ethnicity. No, it will be every nation, tribe, and tongue standing before the throne worshiping God. As one and if the church is to serve as preparation for heaven then our worship and engagement in the church as community should aim to be like heaven and we as a body of believers should be one see I believe this is why Peter's vision began and ended with a sheep a sheep coming down from heaven and then going back up to heaven It's because God was showing him and he is showing us that living in beloved community is woven into the fabric of eternity. So then the question is, how does one define living in a beloved community as a spiritual discipline? Good question. I'm glad you asked. The spiritual discipline of a beloved community is intentionality Intentionally creating, creating space, intentionally creating space to share our lives together with God and one another with agape love as the foundation. See, the reason it's a discipline is because we must work to make it happen. And it has to be Intentional. See, when we do, God will use living in a beloved community to strengthen our faith, to teach you about his heart for the lost, and to have compassion for those who are hurting. You will see his word come alive as you practice living in a vulnerable community with one another. You will see God knit his believers together in their faith and their love for him. You will see unlikely friendships grow deep roots as your friendship as your fellowship leads you to love people and community deeply. But again, it has to be intentional. And this is why the book the writer of Hebrews said this. He said, "And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds." Now, keep the slide right here. See, Notice the first four words here, let us consider. What the Bible is saying here is that the words that comes next has to be concentrated attention or intentionality. So if that's the case, we now have to look at what comes next after these four words. So Um, let us consider how we may spur. This word spur means to incite. It means that we should be excited about, but also to provoke living in community. So with that said, what this scripture is basically saying is we as a body of believers that we have to have concentrated attention. We have to be focused and have intentionality on how we may provoke or incite one another as a body of believers toward love and toward good deeds. We have to be intentional about it. This just will not happen by us sitting in church. The scripture is letting us us know that we have to seek the Holy Spirit on how we could come together as a body of believers. And my job is to provoke you. My job is to incite you or incite you. And your job is to provoke and incite me on loving one another in beloved community so that we can serve our king if we don't consider how to do that, church family, it won't happen. And what we have to do is provoke one another to love and provoke one another to good deeds. That means that I should be encouraging you and empowering you to love one another. I should be uh, provoking you and encouraging you to get involved in whatever God is calling you to do. We have to consider How to provoke one another, to encourage one another, to get excited with one another about doing what God is calling us to do. Now look at the next verse. It says, not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This scripture right here is so relevant for us as we're coming out of the pandemic. It is saying, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. See, after a long period of us watching service online, some have become comfortable and some have become complacent in worshiping alone. But knowing Jesus will return, it's us as a body of believers that should see the urgency in us sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that doesn't know them, whether it's here in our community, whether it's like these people over there that's taking the gospel to unreachable places, we should be excited and we should feel provoked about telling people about the goodness of Jesus Christ. But equally as important, we should be inviting people into a beloved community where a Agape love is the foundation. Knowing that Jesus is going to return, we should be inviting one another so that we can provoke them, so that we can incite them into good deeds and to love. That's what God is calling us to do as a body of believers. Church family, We should not take these things lightly. We should get to the point that we are asking the Holy Spirit, how do I engage in beloved community? So if we take all these things and we put them together, these verses instruct us to prioritize living in a beloved community and to challenge and encourage one another in love. And when we do this, the combination of agape love and good deeds toward one another will not only benefit the church, but it will, it will eventually overflow into our homes, our community, and our workplaces. But let's be clear. There are many people out there saying, I do not need to go to church in order to grow in godliness. I do not need to come around the church in order for me to grow spiritually spiritually. Let's be very clear. Neither the Old or the New Testament supports the idea of us serving God in seclusion. See, close and regular fellowship with God and believers is part of God's design. Now think about this. See, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit is the original and eternal community of love out of which Adam was created. And Adam had everything possible when God created him. He had an awesome outdoor custom-built home by the greatest architect that ever existed. He had access to the largest farmer's market known to man. Adam had a really good job and he had a really good boss. Adam was was absent from health problems, financial problems, career concerns, drama, and politics. He had no sin, nor was Adam separated from God. But yet, for the first time on record, God saw something that he created, and he said it was not good. Why? Because it was Adam's loneliness. And man was made in God's image, and the very essence and foundation of a triune God's image and likeness is relationship and community. It was for this reason that God created someone to be with Adam. And when Adam saw Eve, he was like, hmm, and he knew her. See, unfortunately, technology has resulted in the deterioration of face-to-face community. And technology, for some, makes living in community seem unnecessary. But church family, if you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. Don't find comfort in the idolatry of individualism. It will impede your personal and spiritual development and impede your ability to grow in godliness. The idea that one can grow spiritually without living in community is simply unbiblical. So... If the spiritual discipline of beloved community is creating space to share our life together with God and one another with agape love as the foundation, the question we have to answer is what does that look like here at ACAC and around the globe? Well, on your way in today, you should receive a handout um, from the United Methodist website titled The 25 Traits of the Beloved Community. Now, if you did not receive one, know that as you leave, the usher should have one and you can receive one on your way out. Now, with this handout, there are practical and actionable ways to engage in beloved community with agape love as the foundation. Now, for the sake of brevity, I will not read all 25 of them, but here are some that stood out to me. It was number two. Beloved community recognizes and honors the image of God in every human being. See what the writer is saying here is it recognizes the amago day in each of us and humans are created in the image of God and each and every one of us no matter where we where we are from deserves to be treated with dignity Therefore any form of racism elite, elitism discrimination and oppression is not only a social issue but it's a sin issue at its core and should not be tolerated in any form in beloved community. Also, number eight, beloved community acknowledges limitations, lack of knowledge or understanding, and then it seeks to learn. If you think about it, people tend to disagree when we don't understand one another. When one party is so busy wanting to be heard and doesn't spend any time to understand, disagreement is right around the corner. But when we come to the understanding that most of us are more alike than we are different, we can begin to accommodate, tolerate, and appreciate one another's viewpoints. So I encourage you to continue down that list and ask the Holy Spirit on how you can get engaged. So hopefully, You see from today's message that growing in godliness through living in beloved community is actually a spiritual discipline that we have to engage in. And from the start, that's what God intended for the church, for our community, and for our world. And it has to be done with agape love as the foundation. See, when we do this, when we live in beloved community, it confronts the person who's discouraged. It comforts the person who's discouraged, strengthens the person who's weak, encourages the person who has no hope. It comes along the south, the person who's alone, and it guides the person who's lost their way. But all these things begin when we show up on the weekend, when we get into growth groups, or when we get into small groups during the week, and it continues when we interact with each other after service in Simpson Hall, in the lobby, and outside. And it happens when we pick up the phone and call one another during the week and speak to people about what God is doing in their life. God is calling us into beloved community, and it takes intentionality and it takes discipline. So as I close, In lieu of an altar call, I'm going to do a beloved community call. And I want to encourage each and every one of us to commit to ask the Holy Spirit if you've succumbed to the idolatry of individualism. And if you have, if you think you can grow in godliness on your own and you don't need people and you don't need the church, I want to encourage you to ask God to forgive you. Now, to be clear... If you decided not to come back to church because of your views on the pandemic, that's okay. That's different than thinking you can do this on your own. You stay put until you feel the Lord is leading you back. However, if you have that stinking thinking that you don't need us and we don't need you, ask God to forgive you. And also commit to ask the Holy Spirit on how you can be involved. Ask God how you can personally, with your family, with your friends, how can you be involved in beloved community? And finally, commit to joining a growth group or commit to creating your own growth group. Get a bunch of people to read a book, to watch the movie The Chosen. Commit to joining a Bible study or or starting a Bible study and asking one of our pastors to lead that. Commit. Commit to getting involved. Church family, the bottom line is this. Seek the Holy Spirit, commit to being obedient, and commit to being intentional to create space to share your life together with God and with others with agape love as the foundation. And as we live in beloved community, we as the body of Christ, we will impact the world. Let us pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for informing us that beloved community is a spiritual discipline. It's something that we have to be intentional about doing. Heavenly Father, I'm guilty of binging Netflix. Of not going, uh, not participating in church activities, and finding comfort, comfort in being alone. But heavenly Father, I ask that you forgive that stinking thinking, and help me to be attracted to other believers help me to be attracted into sharing God's love with others God give me that sense of urgency knowing that Jesus will return to share the gospel with people and invite them into beloved community you invited me into the relationship with the father son and the holy spirit it's now my turn to invite others into that same relationship Help me be obedient to your leading, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.